Welcome to the Parker Aver Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Park Ravery Group, we invite you to visit parkravery.com. This week, we welcome Mark Burstein, who is the EVP of Industry and Market Development for Legility. Legility is a supply chain focused solution vendor that is accelerating the digital sustainable supply chain by helping retailers seize new opportunities, sense and respond to changing market dynamics, and more profitably manage complex global businesses. Mark is also a contributing member of the Forbes Technology Council. Joining Mark is Parker Avery partner Randy Nolan. The two industry experts recently attended the American Apparel and Footwear Association's Traceability and Sustainability Conference held in beautiful downtown Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In this episode, we discuss their key takeaways from the AAFA conference, as well as why retailers need to start now with a clear roadmap that includes sustainability in the supply chain. They also touch on where other retailers are in their sustainability efforts, as well as critical first steps retailers must take to achieve sustainable supply chain maturity. This is Trisha Gustin, Senior Director of Marketing at the Parker Avery Group, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, well, welcome you two. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to talk about the conference that you guys were at last week. Hi. Hey, Randy. Thanks for having us, Trish. Yep, really looking forward to it. Before we talk about the traceability and sustainability conference, let's get a little bit of background, Mark. I know You've been involved with the AAFA for quite some time. Tell us a little bit about that. Thanks, Trish. So I've been with Legility for over 20 years. Before that, I was in the apparel manufacturing business, so very familiar with the industry. Legility's been a member of the AAFA since I joined, and I've been on the board of directors for the last 12 years, a founding member of the Sustainability Committee, um, I'm also on the social responsibility committee, the government relations committee, the logistics committee, um, the brand protection committee, and I'm chair of the membership committee. So for any of you listeners, if you want to join the AAFA, please reach out. I'd be happy to introduce you. That's fantastic. Brandy, what about you? So I, um, have actually rejoined the AAFA. I was a, a member in a prior life and knew what an impact that the organization had on the industry and really felt it was important to be part of the conversation and knew that the American Apparel Footwear Association is really leading a lot of the conversation around the legislation and, you know, trying to drive the change within the industry. So um, I'm happy to be re-engaged with the AAFA and happy to be part of the um, sustainability subcommittee. Well, I know that it was a fantastic event. I know there were record, I believe Mark, from our prior conversations, there were some record attendance to this. So tell us, tell us a little bit about the conference and your top takeaways. Well, it was, it was, it really exceeded my expectations. 
You know, normally I've gone to these conferences, there might be 60 or 70 people. This year was the largest AAFA in-person event since 2014. There were over 250 attendees um, representing 80 brands and retailers. And what was really interesting is that most of those brands and retailers sent multiple attendees from different departments, from different levels of management to really capture all the different aspects that the, that the conference offered. Also, I think one of the key statements that I heard probably from about half a dozen presenters is that right now the big issue is the UFLPA, which is the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act that went into effect on June 21st. So everybody's really concerned about getting their goods detained in customs if they can't show chain of custody in order to achieve proof of admissibility. But the statements were, don't just focus on a solution for the Xinjiang cotton in order to comply with UFLPA. I mean, that's really short-sighted. Um, this legislation is going to expand to include more product categories and additional legislation, both in the US, Canada, and the EU, is in flight um, for ESG and sustainability reporting. So this is just really the beginning of what's coming ahead. The other thing I really saw was that across all of the brands and retailers, there's so many fragmented strategies, you know? Some companies are promoting resale of used products. Others are promoting use of recycled materials. Some want to track, focused on cotton, some want to track cotton through DNA and isotope tracing. And others are joining nonprofit organizations like Blue Sign and Okeotex and the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. All of that is great. I mean, kudos to those companies. But the bottom line is this. Future legislation is going to promote or require ESG reporting. And it's going to be similar to the SEC financial reporting requirements for public companies. So these companies really need to start with that end in mind. Um, what are those reporting requirements? How do we collect the data? How do we organize it? And then how do we report? So to me, that should be the focus of any any traceability or sustainability initiatives that they undertake. And Mark, wouldn't you say that that, that really has become the focus? I mean, I, I thought one of the things that really struck me while we were at the conference was was actually just that, that a lot of these other initiatives like upcycling or, you know, re, resale, reuse, were almost ancillary to the primary conversation. And it seemed that a lot of um, organizations are really taking whatever resources they have that are focusing on sustainability and really trying to get the compliance under control because it's complex. Um, right. And, you know, the, the other thing that struck me was uh, the number of companies that it, it wasn't just the supply chain officers or the head of supply chain or the head of sustainability that were at the conference. Um, many, many, you know, it was to your point, two or three, but one of the two or three were also legal. And again, you know, that sort of spoke to the level of complexity of some of this legislation, you know, and, and that companies are really sort of at kind of ground zero trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, Randy, I guess 
I have the advantage or, or disadvantage of having basically been living ESG for the last three years. And you're right. People are starting to align on what the goals need to be. But just a few months ago, I held an executive roundtable with 15 C-level execs from like the biggest companies in our industry, big global brands and retailers, and 15 people had 15 different strategies. No one was aligned. So I think you're right. I mean, I'm happy to see it moving in, in a focused direction, but up until this conference, I was still concerned that people were just spinning their wheels and going all off on their own. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I, I still do think that it's, it's fragmented. It, it does seem that people are very focused on getting the compliance piece taken care of, if I can, if I can use that term. But at the same time, um, the level of complexity is, is a bit daunting and where to start is a bit daunting. Right. Um, and then you're seeing, you know, I, I think companies, you know, they're, they're not necessarily going to get credit, if you will, um, for doing the, the compliance minimum or what they have to do from a compliance perspective. And so their strategies above and beyond hitting the compliance are are all over the place and are a bit, are a bit fragmented. But what, you know, one of the things though, that we did hear was, or at least one of the takeaways that I heard was progress over perfection. Yep. And that seemed a bit counter, you know, to what's going on from a legislation perspective and would love your thoughts, would love your thoughts on that. I mean, I think that you have to start somewhere. And it's a journey, you, you, you know, Legility's laid out five stages of maturity and ESG reporting is stage five. So you have to start, but what's interesting is what's going on now with Europe. And there's almost like a consumer backlash against greenwashing. So some of these companies that felt that they are in a leading position started making claims. Um, marketing claims, sales claims that this product has a 30% lower environmental impact than comparable products that are in the market. And I don't know if you saw, but a couple of weeks ago, there's a class action lawsuit because of those greenwashing claims. So if you are going to make a claim, if a company is going to make a claim, they have to have the data that verifies what that claim is. They just can't pull it out of thin air. And I think you're going to start seeing a lot more validation on how they made those claims as opposed to just making them. So it's a bit of a balance, right? The, the progress over perfection, but then, you know, how you're communicating that to the consumer and how you're positioning to ensure you're not misleading the consumer. But, you know, in some respects, I do think that greenwashing has gone, you know, a bit too far. And where, you know, there are organizations that are, are being accused of greenwashing, you know, Hig, namely, their intention is not to mislead. Their intention right. is actually, you know, they're one of the organizations that have, you know, have really made the most progress, right. you know, when it comes to data and having sort of at least a place to start. No, it's true. And um, we're very close with Hig. So we have customers that utilize Hig data within our platform. But you're never going to be perfect. So even we've created a calculator that says, you know, 
if we're transporting product from point A to point B, and I know it's on this type of truck, and I know that this type of truck puts out X amount of kilograms per mile. Question is, if I want to break that down to a per unit basis, how full is the truck? I mean, is it a hundred percent capacity or is it 50% capacity? And we're never going to be able to get, we're never going to be able to split those hairs. Mm -hmm. So we just need to do the best we can and have a rationale on why we did it that way, but it's never going to be a hundred percent precise. I agree. I agree. I, and, and I think, you know, the key to all this, when you start to think about, you know, progress versus perfection, but then some of the claims of greenwashing, you know, it seems to come down to how you're communicating that ultimately to the end consumer, yep. um, and making sure that, you know, you're as, um, transparent as possible in those communications. And, you know, a lot of that ultimately, you know, comes down to tools like yours, you know, where you're able to capture and track, um, the data, you know, all the way through to every level of your supply chain. Agreed. Back to the progress over perfection and the start somewhere comment that you made, Randy, that really talks to a roadmap for getting from where you are to where you, you know, hope to be. Did you get a sense of how far along retailers seem to be? Is it all over the place? Is it most people are at some place and then there's a couple outliers that are much further along? Can you give me a sense of what you heard at the conference that speaks to that? I would, you know, my impression was that it was a bit all over the place. If, if I had to pick a majority, it seemed that most people were sort of at at the zero mark, you know, really just trying to figure out, um, you know, how to get from here to there and sort of trying to figure out what the requirements were, understanding, and then putting together a roadmap for them to at least start to meet some of the compliance requirements. Mark, what's, what's your thoughts? Well, I have maybe a little bit broader perspective versus what we saw at the conference. I would say since the beginning of 2022, I must have spoken to well over a hundred companies. I'm talking large global companies based in the U.S., Canada, all over the EU, even in Australia. They're the ones that are really concerned about it. And most of them are at stage zero. There are some, some industry leaders have achieved stage two maturity but only in a portion of their categories, you know, they're really focused right now on cotton imports from Southeast Asia to the U S so that they don't get their shipments detained, but leather shoes from Brazil, you know, there is no legal requirement to show proof of admissibility or chain of custody even. So I'm looking at those categories. They're going to come online later. So some companies have already set their process. Now it, they just need to start rolling it out to a broader um, set of categories within their supply chain. For that many people to show up in Pittsburgh at this conference is a really big testament to the level of interest in ESG initiatives and what it's going to mean and entail for the organizations. So I think that having that maturity curve or understanding what that looks like will help people at least get a sense of where they need to start or where they think they might be. 
And to that point too, understanding their existing capabilities. And that's something we do all the time is, is mm -hmm. capabilities assessment, certainly in the, with the lens of a sustainability efforts to date and then where they can, where, what they can achieve over the next, you know, six, nine, 12 months or so mm -hmm. developing a roadmap to get from point A to point B that will help them achieve some of that maturity while also managing this huge change across the organization. That tool set of having the roadmap, having that understanding of that maturity curve will really help as companies determine how they can travel along the maturity curve. Yeah. And going back to your Pittsburgh comment, I would say over 90% of the attendees had to fly into Pittsburgh to see it. And, and you know, the problems that we're having with all the flights, I mean, mm -hmm. so, some of us actually had their flights canceled and then had jokes played on them by some of their, um, <laughs> had jokes oh. played uh, by, by some of their co-patriots. Are either of you uh, Steelers fans? No, no, unfortunately not. I'm a football fan, but I'm a Dolphins fan. Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania, northeastern part of Pennsylvania. So the Steelers were my brother's favorite. So they hold a dear place in my heart. But you weren't wow. an Eagles fan if you grew up Ooh. in the northeast. No, and I and I lived in Philly for about three years too. But no, oh, okay. not nope. Mm -mm. <laughs> anyway, back to sustainability though. So you know, we've talked about people at different levels along the maturity curve. And a lot of people just trying to scratch their heads, figure out where to begin. Did you get a sense from the conference or from your conversations over the past few years, both Mark and Randy, where people are trying to start first? Where, where are they starting? Where have people made some progress? And then where maybe should the first step be taken? Well, well I think that that industry is changing. I think the number one thing they need to do is understand what suppliers are in their network from their tier ones to tier N. Who is it? Who, who gets involved in making my product? And if we're talking cotton from the cotton ginner all the way to the finished goods. And I think there was some pushback. Like these suppliers are like, why do I have to provide this information? This is just added work for me. This doesn't mean anything. And I think there was a little friction early on, but I think now there's a lot of momentum. And I think that these suppliers realize if they want to do business with companies that are making these products, they have to comply. So the first mm -hmm. thing that companies need to do is get that transparency. And most of them don't have it to the extent they need it. Randy, what are your thoughts on the companies that you've worked for, or even the companies that you work with now? What are their thoughts? I, I agree with you, Mark. I, I think that the industry is changing and I, and I kind of go back to, you know, a lot of the legislation that has been put in place and then is also kind of on the horizon to be put in place is forcing the issue. I do think that it's a blessing and a curse a bit, you know, kind of back to that legislation. I think it is, it is forcing change and it is forcing all the parties within the supply chain to have to comply because at the end of the day, people need their supply chain to be as efficient and as fast as possible. So the blessing is it's driving change. You know, the curse is though, I think that unfortunately it's a bit of an oversimplification of a very complex supply chain, right? You know, we've all been in this industry a long time and 
apparel and footwear has one of the most complicated supply chains in the industry, and it's driven a lot of complexity. Um, and I do believe that in some cases it has kind of pushed organizations to maybe slow down other initiatives that they may have had from an ESG perspective. So good news is there's momentum and people are moving along right. the traceability, you know, sort of on the traceability side of things, but the level of complexity is kind of taking some of the focus away from some of those other things that we were starting to see around, you know, recycling, reuse, maybe some of those consumer facing initiatives that we were starting to see companies take hold of. Are you talking about resale? initiatives that some companies are taking on, like, you know, taking back um, used clothes and then reselling it. And these are not just returns, but these are items that people have used. And then they're almost like a posh mark within us. Exactly. So I, I think, you know, when, when I, when organizations kind of look at where to start, I think to Mark's point at the end of the day, the, the legislation that's coming down, you know, kind of traceability and visibility is is has to be everybody's priority or, or they won't be able to get their goods into the country. So that number one has to be everybody's priority. On the other side of the coin though, is around, you know, how do we as an industry just do better, you know, kind of that progress versus perfection. How do we just as an industry just do better? And so I think one of the, the quickest wins that organizations have started to look at is, um, on the resale side of things. You know, it can be considered a bit of, I don't want to use the term low-hanging fruit because it's not, you know, it's not super, super easy. But I do think, you know, when you start to look at sustainable practices that uh, you get a lot of credit for from a consumer perspective, it's it's been a great place to start from, a, you know, and you're starting to see many organizations do it. Yeah, I, I agree. But really, there's only so much product that we can resell. I mean, there's a finite amount of products. So, you know, people are going to continue to manufacture new product, obviously. But also one thing that's interesting is the incentives for these suppliers to improve. So, you know, there are tools like HIG, the FEM, Facility Environmental Measurement Tool. And let's say I'm a facility and I get a certain score. Well. Obviously, I want to improve that score, but it's going to cost money to do so. And what's my reward for that? What's my benefit of doing that? So PVH and HSBC put something in place recently. PVH suppliers, once they have that assessment, PVH can come in and say, here are things that you need to do to improve your environmental impact or, or reduce your environmental impact. And by doing so, HSBC is going to give you preferential interest rates. So you're they'll give you uh, reduced financing so that now you've made the investment and now you're seeing an ROI on that investment in direct dollars. And that's, that's pretty big incentive. And Mark, you're seeing, quick question for you though, you know, we're also seeing that, you know, even some like, um, Gilded, mm -hmm. right? Some of the other bigger organizations are also tying their line of credit to their sustainability goals. Yeah. I mean, those are those are organizations that are in the the walk run right. Right? <laughs> side of things. Well, what's interesting, and I just had this conversation today. So you look at companies that are very vertical, that manufacture, 
their own products, even knit their own fabrics, spin their own yarns. I mean, you look at a company like Haynes Brands, they're vertical from the cotton bale. So they have a lot more control over what's taking place in the supply chain. They also have a much easier ability to measure the environmental impact versus someone that all they do is design a product and then have it sourced through a really extended complex supply chain. And that's where the crux of the matter is because 99% of the fashion industry sources product. They don't own manufacturing facilities. So now you're talking about how do I collect the same information that I would have if I own those facilities in order to report. That's why, I mean, Haynes Brands is right on the leading edge of reporting. Gildan just came out with a report today about how they've reduced their um, greenhouse gas emissions. So it, that's the direction these companies need to go. Who's responsible for that? So in, in one of your examples, they don't own the manufacturing facility. So is it on the manufacturing facilities to do that? Or is it on the end retailers? to get all that information? Like who owns that? Well, eventually it'll be the end retailers. And that's why traceability is so important because traceability identifies which suppliers are in that chain of custody. Because honestly, if I'm making t-shirts, I can buy cotton jersey from a hundred different mills, but it's the mill that I've selected. I need to know that information. And where did that mill buy their yarn? And where did that yarn spinner get his cotton? So once I build my, what I call a digital twin that shows me all those relationships, then I start collecting that data and then I have what I need in order to report properly. And that will be the responsibility of the end retailer. Right. Um, because it's their product. It's their product. Okay. Any other takeaways from the conference or from any of your conversations after the conference or before that? our listeners should know about. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's a huge change, absolutely enormous. And I don't think the reason it's it's an ongoing change is because it's going to be a moving target. I, I get oh, the yeah, sense. 100%. So, yeah. <laughs> any last thoughts, Randy or Mark? You know, one of the things that I heard, not only at this conference, but at, at a few of the prior conferences that I've been attending, is that from an industry perspective, it's going to be really important that we all work together and pull in the same direction when it comes to hitting sustainability targets and goals. And I think that specifically comes into play, you know, when you're talking about some of the legislation that's being proposed and, you know, not, not to put a plug in for the AAFA, but to plug the AAFA, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why an organization like the AAFA is so important because it really does give retailers and brands um, and manufacturers a forum, you know, to come together and and have tough, open conversations about, you know, what we're all doing, the change we're trying to drive within our organizations and what's working and what's not working. So, I, you know, I would say that cooperation and collaboration is going to be key. And it was very encouraging, you know, to really hear and see some of the very open, honest conversations that were had at the conference, because not everybody had the answers and, and organizations were very, very open and candid about that. And, and I think that's a good first step. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I'm concerned about is that there's all of these governments, both 
kind of, you know, um, federal governments and state governments, they're all pushing forward with legislation and they're not harmonized. Meaning that if EU comes out with one reporting requirement, is that going to match the USA's reporting requirement or are they going to be different? And the ultimate issue with that is in, you're, you're familiar with the New York Fashion Act. That basically states that companies doing business in New York need to report on ESG. But that's at the New York state level. Washington state issued a duplicate bill. And California and Massachusetts, they're going to issue their own bills. And then they're going to go up for debate. You could literally have 50 different mm -hmm. state reporting requirements. So for each state, you might have to meet a certain requirement. So even what we're pushing for is let's forget about doing it state level. Let's just do it at the federal level. That way it gives us one reporting requirement. But I think that is something that people need to start paying attention to because we only want to have to do this one way. And then we've met the requirements. If we have to report in dozens of ways, that's going to be onerous. It's like the pricing, you know, different pricing at the state levels. That's a sort of a nightmare to deal with. But it goes back to Mark, what you were saying earlier, like one of the first steps is to understand the whole supply yep. chain, all that exactly. tracing back as far back into the supply chain as you can. If you can get all that data, that's a huge first step because at least you're going to have all that information if you if a company eventually right. has to comply with 50 different state requirements. So that that first initial step, it's ugly, it's hard, it's going to take a heck of a lot of work, but absolutely you need to get that, that supplier, the whole supply chain data in order. To get back to these companies, they don't know what to do. Normally I deal with the C-suite. So I'm dealing with the COO or the chief supply chain officer, I'm laying out strategy and vision. But because this is so new, this ESG and traceability is so new, what these companies are doing, these C-level guys, the COO and the chief supply chain officer, they're going to mid-level management and they're saying, do me a favor. Here's what we want to achieve. Here's our goals. Um, we need service providers. Go out there and scour the market and find me who you think are your top five or six. We'll vet them. We'll narrow it down to two or three, and then we'll pick a we'll pick a, a company that we go forward with. So that's why the AAFA Traceability and Sustainability Conference had so many people. It was multiple people from every company. I mean, there were companies that had six, seven people attend this so that oh, they could look at it from all these different angles. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, normally where I'm reaching out to, you know, executives, I think that this is really falling on, on the shoulders of, of everybody in the organization from legal to the C-suite to sourcing to quality, to the compliance teams, to product development. So I'm instructing people, reach out to everyone from the CEO to the interns, because they're all looking for, for solutions that can help their companies because it does touch so many different departments.
Mm-hmm. And it's so new, right? This is this is a, a whole huge change management project. It is. It is. It is brand new, and people have been talking about it since the UFLPA went into effect June twenty first. Now people are getting serious, and and the the direction seems to be coalescing or aligning, whereas before people were all over the place. We're doing a webinar on August 16th. Uh, Legility is, and I'm, I'm leading that. I might refer back to some of the things from the sustainability conference, but this is basically going to state this stuff is coming, you know, and I'm going to give you the answers to the test. I'm going to tell you exactly how to set it up and how to walk through each stage so that you do achieve stage five, that you can report when these things go into effect. And um, that's it. <laughs> you know, this is how you need to follow and how you need to, to, to proceed and prioritize. Because if you don't, you're going to fail. This is brand new and this could critically affect their companies. Well, and because they'll be forced to do a lot to change their processes to accommodate new legislation, that's going to be a big push to get their house in order <laughs> to be able exactly. to do that because that's not, exactly. that's not a small task, especially since people, like we, you said, the first step, isn't the first step getting your data in order? And most, so most companies are horrible at that. Yep. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. I always get a lot out of these podcasts. Always learn so much from the consultants and our guests that we have on them. So I really appreciate taking the time to join me today. We'll have another sustainability recap as we get further down this journey. Thank you so much, Tricia. Yep. Thanks, Trish. That's a wrap for this week. We hope you enjoyed the conversation, gained some industry insights, and got to know the Parker Avery Group a little bit better. If you have any questions about today's discussion or wish to talk about any retail industry challenges you may be facing, please visit our website to contact us. Please also join our conversation on LinkedIn. Just search for the Parker Avery Group. And don't forget to share this podcast to anyone who may benefit from these insights. We look forward to hearing from you.